All right. So chapter four, an amazing chapter. We've got lots of stuff to dive in and dissect here. Um, let's hop into fairy tales. That's always a, a good one to <laughs> it starts off lots of conversations here. Um, they're on page uh, 120 is, is where it kind of starts and you heads from there. So why are fairy tales brought into Isaiah Decoded? Why are they significant at all? What do they help us realize about the end time? Are all fairy tales in this category or are there different kinds? What are, are people's thoughts on, on fairy tales and their significance there? So I think fairy tales are kind of like parables, right? Where they're used to teach us. And so I, I'm guessing that that's part of the reason. You know, I'm also thinking, and you, you listened to the Mary Magdalene on Talking Scriptures, that that was all about fairy tales too. Mm -hmm. So I found that interesting, but I don't know. There's probably something a little bit deeper I planned on reading this morning but had some other adventures so i didn't read till tonight <laughs> but this was actually a really really good chapter like really really good mm -hmm. but i think part of it is just like a, a teaching tool mm -hmm. yeah for sure i have something um it's just really interesting in my mind, as I've been thinking about things, and my daughter posted a few years ago with all these different, um, like the Rick Riordan, the, oh, now I can't even think of all these books, but where it's a young teen, a 14-year-old boy like Harry Potter had to save the world. He had to go learn and save the world. And then the, um, the guy with, oh, with the Greek gods and the um, Roman gods, he was a young son and he had to save the world. And my daughter was like, what is all this about 14 year old boys? And she said, oh, <laughs> there is a 14 year old boy who really did it. He saw God the Father and Jesus Christ. And it is up to Joseph, you know, Joseph Smith was the prophet of the dispensation. And I wonder if, yeah, they might help teach, but at the same time, are they people trying to explain God's dealings but in their own way, the way they understand it. And is that how fairy tales are taught? Well, it's kind of like this kids, this is kind of like heavenly father, but we'll put it in things you might understand easier, or I don't know, I just thought that was really interesting. Or like Harry Potter's magic, they can't explain the power of the priesthood. So let's assign it to magic. Yeah. And that just some, some things I had been thinking of. I really like that. I think that's, that's I think that's really interesting because I recently have been learning about, I've always just thought fairy tales were kind of silly, but I've actually been learning how important they are and how like the fairy tales that we have now are so distorted and how the truth of the fairy tales, like the true original fairy tales, they've been working so hard to cover up and to change them. Because if you trace back, you know, just like Hansel and Gretel and the three bears, like all of those stories that we hear, um, if you were to trace them back and hear the true origins, like, you know, the real true story that first started us, it's all the gospel. It's like all about God and the fun of salvation and um, like climbing the ladder, like it all has those pieces. Um, so it's just interesting to see how that seems like such a silly thing, but teaching through fables and stories is really Christ's way of teaching. Um, so it makes sense that they would be distorted. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Libby, where did you um, trace back to find their origins? Um, there are, and I don't know very much, but there's just some podcasts that I've listened to. Um, there's a couple different authors who have, or not authors, but just people who have been able to trace back to 
they're mostly just cultural stories that were passed down and they don't know the, the very beginning of most of them because they've been changed over time. Um, but I could send you the podcast if you're interested. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, for sure. This is just kind of a tangent or whatever, but um, I find that as uh, multiple sources start teaching me the same principle or whatever, that's how the Lord kind of directs my studies and stuff. And so um, uh, fairy tales have just been popping up like crazy. I've always kind of been interested in them, searching the origins and stuff, but I haven't really deep dove into them. But on Learning Zion, I'm going to start creating a course and going through as I'm learning uh, I'll be posting and uh, putting uh, lots of that stuff in there. So I'm, I'm really excited if you can find those uh, podcasts and share those and everything. Um, but yeah, going through them because just from different research and, and things so far, like Beauty and the Beast is the Adam and Eve story. The uh, Rapunzel is Joseph and the Semith's love story. Uh, you have Little Mermaid, which is Mary Magdalene. You have uh, three little pigs, which is temple versus house. That there's all of these different um, connections, and um, but I did find uh, lots of good articles at why these things kind of started developing. And uh, sorry for the long tangent, but um, when the Christians went into hiding after Christ died, they had to start really hiding their teachings. And so, like for example, the three little pigs. You know, the, the original story is, is three little lambs, yet they have to turn it into a unclean animal so that they don't get ousted or uh, so that they can keep the story going without uh, getting uh, caught or shut down kind of a thing. And so um, that's where a lot of things kind of start happening. And then, you know, different cultures, uh, Aesop's fables, etc., start pulling those in and expounding on them so that they can be uh, promulgated uh, through the, the future generations. Anyway, I'm going to be kind of sharing some of my findings and, and journey through fairy tale and uh, on, on the Learning Zion site in the courses. Um, but yeah, that, that's going to be fun. But it's interesting how um, here it's talking about all of this as an end time scenario and where these fairy tales, like on page 120, says that the fairy tales, in fact, closely parallel Isaiah's end time drama. And then you have the, the chart there on 121, where you have the virgin daughter of Zion, which is the heroine. God's end time servant is the hero or prince, the harlot Babylon, the evil stepmother. King of Assyria is the ogre or giant. Angelic emissaries, the fairies or secret helpers. Babylon's reprobates are the ugly stepsisters. And then all of Jacob Israel level on the ladder are our generic characters throughout the, the things. Uh, as we learn about composites and how it all plays out, and it, it's like God always tells the same story, but with different actors, and not only in real life, but in, in fairy tale as well, uh, kind of for different age levels and, and things. And so um, when we do start diving into the actual text of Isaiah, we'll start to see some of this really play out and those archetypes really becoming most of our generic fairy tale stories. Um, but that was a, a totally new concept for me as, as we were going through um, Isaiah Dakota here. It's like, holy cow, there's fairy tales popping up all over the place. Uh, it's just very interesting. I, I love how, how that happens. Cameron, uh... You've got a couple of uh, in the chat there. Oh, yes, thank you. Um, so in the podcast, um, so is that the, uh, which podcast of Avraham's is it in? Um, the, the Book of Mormon Prophecy podcast or the commentary on Isaiah? I'd be interested to, to dive into that further. This was new to me as I was just kind of reading this chapter. I hadn't uh, dove into that yet. And then uh, Libby shares a, another podcast, um, the Literary Life podcast. All right, I'll check that one out. Yeah, those are fun. Um, so Rossanne says, yes, the Book of Mormon, I believe, been listening to 
I know. I listen to so many podcasts all the time, too. <laughs> it's kind of hard to keep them all straight. All right. So anything else kind of on fairy tales while we're while we're there? If not, we'll kind of bounce around to other areas. Um, another interesting part that I wanted to discuss. Uh -huh. Sorry, did somebody else have something? Oh, that might have been me. Okay. I, I was just going to say, you know, when we were kind of going through the like all the princess ones and what uh, what what is it that uh, gets rid of the curse? And it was about the same thing on all of them is that the kiss from the prince, the love's true kiss. I think that's kind of symbolic there. Is that like the sacred embrace? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. And then, because um, with many of the, the princess ones, they have to wake up or to uh, break the, the curse. And which is that on? 124. So at the very bottom, it says, we have to pay a price that banishes the curse. How do we do that? And we can kind of look to our fairy tales. How do they do that? By renewing the covenant. And I thought that that was interesting. I was like, okay, so how can we connect covenant to kiss? And uh, the, the shape of our mouths is that vesica Pisces shape, which is the actual symbol for covenants, right? The, the vesica Pisces uh, represents the, the, the making and keeping of, of sacred covenants. And, and so that was, that was very interesting. I, I love the uh, Heroes Gamos, that, that sacred embrace that Alethea is talking about. We talk about that a lot in the Mary Magdalene class. Um, yeah, there, there's so much there in, in our fairy tales that I think that we kind of almost gloss over it because there's just so much symbolism. And so it's um, very leveled as um, you're needing more, you can always find more in those, uh, much like parables and, and things. Uh, the master teacher, Christ himself, teaches in, in that way to, to layer it. I really liked on page 117 in the middle of that top paragraph, mm -hmm. it says he called them to be a royal priesthood to minister his salvation to the rest of humanity. And I just felt like that's what President Nelson's asking us to do. And it was just like, wow, like there was so much in here. There was more, that was the only place I wrote it. But as I kept reading, I think what you just, there was something you just read. And I was like, yeah, that's like what president, oh, ministering, was it something about ministering that you just read? I'm mm -hmm. like, that's what president Nelson's trying to teach us. Yeah. I don't know about all of y'all, but like I have president Nelson's name written in all of the columns on this chapter, <laughs> like every single thing is just like screaming like there's no way that we're not in the end times like this is it everything that's been prophesied everything's coming together and, and president nelson is is leading us so masterfully through well i mean christ obviously but uh president nelson through through all of these different challenges that that we're facing in, in these latter days so can we just talk about this end time servant is that a prophet is that joseph smith when he returns like what do you know what i'm asking like mm -hmm. yeah for sure <laughs> there's so many opinions on this um i didn't know anything about the end time servant i didn't know there, that there was one uh, until reading isaiah decoded and then um getting into uh, different people from the Isaiah Institute, et cetera. There are so many opinions and they're all very heavy and pointed and cause fights all the time. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, to me, my own personal opinion, if anybody wants that at all, it's President Nelson 100%. But I, you know, things change from learning to learning as I learn new things. It, it could change a million times, but that's my opinion so far. Um, so Sarah says that also as the world makes fairy tales fake, it's easy for the world to make God and the scriptures fake too. So sad. Yeah, in our in-person class just barely, uh, they were talking about how 
many of the the new ones are changing and making and i want to say this carefully because it's like a, a kind of feminist approach where they don't need a prince anymore that they they can do it on their own they uh, the it's that self-empowerment which is great self-empowerment awesome but if you're writing christ out of the story it, it, it's going to come out of, as a loss kind of a thing you know so uh changing those fairy tales for uh evil purposes um and janet says that the end time servant is all of us interesting i have never heard that take on it before that's that's a new one i'm i'm gonna have to take some time and, and mull that one over um Maybe she should expound on that a little bit more, <laughs> Janet. Yes. Where is she at, Janet? I'm here. Oh, there she is. Well, just as I read it, as I, if, if I can remember right, it talked about the end time servant and, and other servants. And I just interpreted that to mean all of us who have been called to minister Christ's gospel. I, I mean, that's kind of a broad interpretation, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Um, yeah, I, I'm at a loss of words. I, I need to like mull that over and, and put that all in because as we are all, as there are many composites for the end time servant, what makes it that we're not all composites for, for this end time servant and then it's all of us. Interesting. I, I love that. Um, Shamala says that Cinderella was a commoner unknown and the servant could be too. And, and that's very true. Yeah. Um, taking even fairy tales and, and plugging them into this um, uh, scenario and, and composite structure uh, is excellent. Cindy, I, 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 oh, <laughs> no, I, I just said, you have your hand raised. <laughs> That's okay. I had, I just had a thought about the fairy tales. And um, I know in the Abraham book, we learned a lot about the adversary having um, types of, of things along the way that, that kind of mimicked. Uh, spiritual things and things of God. And, and I wonder, I don't know, it just kind of made me think about fairy tales and if the adversary hasn't taken some of that and used it to mimic things of God to kind of confuse us a little, maybe. Um, it just seems like, like you were saying with the way fairy tales are changing nowadays, that maybe he's used that to to just confuse us a little bit just the thought i had <laughs> yeah for sure kind of like what libby was saying as they start changing some of the things i felt very awkward and uncomfortable with lots of disney films for the past few years and i just i just throw out all disney kind of stuff but you know if you go back to the the roots there's there's definitely some truths and, and things to learn but yeah it, it's amazing as we try to modify like what's kind of one of the big things now is to to take the villains and make stories about them and humanize them make them more relatable that you know we are all of the villains <laughs> yeah and make make the villain be the good guy yeah i i see a lot of that in movies lately that that you are um it plays on your emotions that the villain is the good guy and you're cheering him on <laughs> yeah exactly um, on page 115 at the bottom, it's, um, it says, both groups, however, may ascend to the next level by keeping God's law and word. That includes repenting of transgression and returning in a new ex exodus out of Babylon. A small percentage of people throughout the earth responds to this wake-up call. And I just thought that was super interesting because wasn't it a year and a half ago? when President Nelson outright called us all to repentance and said the time is running short. Exactly. Yeah, I have President Nelson written up to the side of that one too. <laughs> and I love it. Um, let's see. What, what page was that on, Alethea? 115. 115, okay, thank you. 
Alethea is muted. Sorry, I, I see your lips moving. <laughs> Usually when I push the space button, it unmutes, but my book was on the keyboard. Maybe it did something. Um, and then Sarah says in the chat, so, so far, this was my favorite chapter. It was uh, get your butt moving. It reminded me of the scripture passage of the talents. Yeah, for sure. I like that. This, um, I've been thinking about that there are more important for the saints to step up and start on missions. Um, and then uh, Cindy says that it wasn't an informational chapter, but it was a do and be chapter. Yeah. And uh, sorry, remind me, uh, C. Westwood, your, your name's Cindy, right? Or am I saying that wrong? I'm trying to memorize people's names and get better at it. <laughs> yes, okay. Um, while we're on page 115, I, I, I loved just right above that, in the middle of the page there, where it delineates out Jacob and Israel as two separate subgroups of the same category. So um, it says that in Isaiah's paradigm, Israel represents those who have renewed the covenant, but who have not yet ascended. Jacob, on the other hand, represents those who believe in God, but who haven't yet renewed the covenant. Thus, Jacob and Israel has two subgroups. And I thought that was interesting. Like, okay, so do all of the different levels of the ladder have two subgroups? Those that haven't renewed the covenant versus those that have and uh, the ones that have where they haven't yet ascended to the next level, but are, are in that, that moving phase. Um, and interesting, I, as soon as it said to have, haven't yet ascended, I immediately thought of our, our savior at the garden tomb when he says, touch me not, or better interpreted, cling to me not, I have not yet ascended to my father. Is that the same thing? Had he renewed his covenant, uh, paid the price to ascend, yet had not ascended yet to his father, the actual physical uh, ascension there kind of thing. I, I thought that that was an interesting thing to just kind of mull over. My brain's been trying to work through that all week um, as, as this ladder progression that, that we're learning about. Uh, let's see what else we got. There's so much in here. Uh, you know, all of our groups, we've kind of come together from the, the timelines and, and everything. So on page 118, um, where it, it really delineates those out. So from the time the servant begins his mission, Babylon has a three-year lease of time in which to repent before God brings upon it three years of judgment. And I mean, if we're looking at eclipses and and all of that uh, things start moving in in 2018 president nelson begins his ministry um as as a prophet and uh, the the midpoint 2021 uh end point 2024 it, it seems to match up with this although you know there there's many different interpretations and ways to to fit things in but We'll, we'll see with all of it, but that's one of the, the main reasons that I think President Milton is a very great candidate for the, the end time servant, the, the, the archetype or, or whatever you want to call it, but I don't know. <laughs> um, on page 128, I thought it was interesting that there were two separate groups of people um, let me, let me just hold on. Okay. I need, I can only use one hand. So, um, so on page 20, 127 at the bottom, some take more time than others to advance from one phase to the next persons in upper categories. And then the next page two are then ascending the same as those to whom they ministered. Wait, did I? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, Anyways, and then it goes on that God gives us the freedom to choose and go at our own pace. And then the two pilgrimages, the first group attends the Zion Jerusalem level and levels higher and direct response to the servants performing his mission. 
And then the second group makes a similar pilgrimage to the promised land, but not until after the millennial millennium of peace has begun. And that actually reminded me of the two groups of Nephites at the time when the savior returned, that the one, and I've talked about this before, that it was a year's time where they all were gathering at the temple when the savior came um, and they were whispered to and told to go. I'm guessing that the Holy Ghost told them to go and to gather at the temple. Um, but then the savior came, they had that one-on-one -on -one experience and then he left and then they spent the night gathering everybody else and how that was the second group. And so they, um, what does it say in the scriptures that, that they were the more righteous group. And yet even some were more righteous because they heard the Holy ghost. They gathered at the temple, but one group still didn't hear and they needed to be physically told and gathered. I also can't help but wonder if that's part of the reason why we are having so many temples built is for a place for us to gather. And that when Christ comes, even though we have what, 200 temples, I don't even know how many we have anymore. We used to count it on both hands. We all knew where they were, but even though we'll all be at different temples, we'll all have the same experience at the same time. I don't know. I just have wondered about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much so. <clears throat> uh, in person, we were studying Ezra this past year. It's, it seems like it's been forever, but it hasn't. Um, but these these different uh, exoduses out of Babylon, uh, you have the first wave with Zerubbabel, the, the second wave with Ezra, and then the, the third wave with Nehemiah. And it's interesting how all of that plays in here and uh, throughout multi, uh, multi, uh, many cultures. Like you said with the Nephites, I had never put that uh, together, the, the two different groups there, that there's lots of different uh, tie-ins. There's, there's always composites. That's how you kind of know that it's a true principle because the, the Lord always repeats himself. It's never just a, a one and done kind of thing. He's always shown us this pattern and, and, and pulling it through. And I love that. And was that Janet that wrote something? I totally agree with that, that there's dual purposes in having the temples, you know, that there'll be so much temple work that needs to go on. Mm -hmm. But also, I just wonder how many of us will have to walk to the temple, like the Nephites, like they're in such, now they're in such out of the way places. And mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, and then on Janet's first comment there, uh, when Christ told Mary not to touch him, was it because he was a spirit and was not resurrected until he had been to the Father? It, that's a very valid point. Um, I tend to, to believe that he was resurrected. Looking from the translation, um, how it's kind of translated as, as a, an embrace, like cling to me not, meaning I can't stay here, but that she was in fact hugging and, and clinging on to him kind of a thing. But, you know, I, I'm not a full gospel scholar either, so I, I have no idea. <laughs> but but that's a very valid question there. I, uh, wouldn't it be fun to, to know My, that? <laughs> yeah. Neil's mission president told him that that could be interpreted. Don't hug me so much, Mary. I still need to ascend to heaven. It wasn't touch me not. It was okay. That's enough. I I I need to go, and mm -hmm. I like interpretation. Yeah, because like being wrapped up in that full scenario, you know, just oh, I just witnessed you on the cross and, and suffering and all this kind of stuff. You know, like of course, as as his wife, it was going to be clinging on to him and, and and loving on him, and it's like okay, I. We both know that I've got a mission to perform here, but you know, I don't know. It, very interesting thoughts. This will take you on a whole different tangent. I remember reading something a long time ago, and I barely remember it, but it had to do something with the Old Testament and the temple. And I can't remember exactly when they go in and offer the blood sacrifice. Uh -huh. Do you remember? I'm not real good on my Old Testament. Was there something about the priest that went in? 
to put blood on the mercy seat that he was not allowed to be touched. I can't remember the Old Testament well enough. Do you remember anything about that? Nobody, if he died, nobody could go in and get him. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they put yeah. that rope around him to pull him out in case he died. Okay. Because <laughs> I remember talking about something to that extent. I don't remember. It wasn't an LDS thing, but they had said that he, uh, they were talking about he had to put the blood on the mercy seat. So he wasn't, he would have been considered uh, not pure and holy if he had been touched before he ascended to heaven to put mm-hmm. blood. And I thought that was an interesting concept that they had related it somehow to the Old Testament. I think I probably read about five years ago, so I don't remember exactly what it said, but I thought it was interesting. That would be be on the Day of Atonement when they went in yearly to do that. Oh, okay. Okay. I know it had something to do with the Old Testament, but it's been a long time since I read it, and and I didn't do further research on it, so. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, if I remember right, he had to to refrain from touching anyone, even even other priests, for twenty four hours before going into the to the holy of holies. Yeah, and I think that was the connection that they were trying to make, because mm-hmm. he's the high priest, our high priest. Yeah. Christ priest. So that was the connection they were trying to make. Okay, can I kind of take us in an interesting direction? For sure. <laughs> this, this chapter really brought this to mind for me. On page 114 on the top paragraph, it says, to repent of transgression and return to the privileges of their righteous ancestors, the end time generation of God's people must put forth more effort to restore those blessings than if they'd been born in a state of blessedness. Mm-hmm. So the Joseph Smith Foundation and Hannah Stoddard, um, I've watched this several times. It was free up until recently on Amazon called The Remnant. We all know that before there's destruction, the Lord's pattern is to take a group of people out. There's legend, and I actually looked it up, that a group of people just showed up about 500 AD in Scandinavia and actually helped fight off the Romans. And they had a special sword and they were actually called Nephilims and their prince was named Nephi. And he was a righteous, righteous leader. Well, I've watched it several times, but then it just kind of one thing led to another and the Lord's just been teaching me. I don't know. The book of Mormon was written. We all say it was written for us, right? Mm -hmm. And then we all say, Oh, this is so great. The Lamanites get to read their history, but this is the promised land. And all of the prophets asked the Lord, to give the Book of Mormon, to give this record to their descendants. They didn't ask necessarily for the Lamanites. They wanted it to go to the Nephites. So who were the first people that we sent missionaries to? Scandinavia, England, or the British Isles, and the Polynesian islands like how weird is that if the book of mormon was meant for the lamanites specifically why didn't we initially take it to the lamanites are we nephites is that why the missionaries were sent there to bring the nephites back to their promised land the nephites brought the book of mormon back translated by Nephite descendancy. Nephites, the ancient descendants of the ancient 12 and Jesus Christ restored the church. I'm just wondering, Hmm. are we Nephites? The Book of Mormon was meant for Nephites. Mm -hmm. And then the Nephites were to take it to other people and that's what we're doing, then taking it to the Lamanites. 
Are we the Nephites coming back to our promised land? Is that why this believing blood in Denmark, the, you know, the Netherlands, all around, those were the people that recognized the truth and they came to the United States reclaiming their, look who, look who left and began the United States. And we're told that once you lose your land, you have to gain it back by blood. Is that what the Revolutionary War was about? Were they all Nephites coming back unknowingly, being called back to reclaim their promised land? Hmm. Yeah, that's very I, interesting. I'm but, just, uh, I'm just wondering. Yeah, Shamu is raising her hand. I love how I said in there um, that by the time Israel was spread, essentially Israel is everyone. Mm -hmm. And okay maybe not Nephites, but people are only in tune to what they're ready for. Mm -hmm. If someone, you know, Nephites, for example, and <laughs> being prompted to come to our own little promised land, you know, right now, my husband and I are, um, are living in Navajo County, which is super cool and surrounded by people who are prompted to come here. But when you ask that, um, I think it's a super valid question. But if the if the Nephites weren't ready at the time, that's why. That's why I don't. It, but it I don't even. I don't even doubt that those American Indians were perhaps uh, part of the remnants of the Nephites. Then you. I'm sorry, my my son Hopton. Will you say that one more time? I don't even doubt that the native americans were remnants like they were the righteous mm -mm. i don't doubt that and I, if you listen to and you can get it for free on audibles if you don't have it you get one free listen but um lance richardson's book they saw our day talks about the hopi and how they have a legend that they buried their weapons of war and they laid down and let the enemies fight them and kill them until they stop i mean i think they are and i I don't know. I'm just on, I'm pulling this thread right now. And I'm, I'm just really wondering if, if there's Nephites, we think that they all died, but I'm wondering if they were just scattered and we didn't know it. They didn't all die at the end of the scriptures. It says that they died and some were taken. So the, some that were taken, I'm sure ended up in seat with whoever was left. Yeah. And I, and, and like so. I said, it's the Lord's pattern before a people's destroyed to move people to places of safety. Yeah, absolutely. And keep a remnant. And I'm just wondering if the church, especially those early saints, the early beginnings is the remnant. Yeah. You know, that would totally make sense. And where it talks about the remnant coming from the North, um, mm -hmm. uh, Scandinavia would definitely be that. And my ancestors are from Denmark, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, were converted in the 1800s, you know, and took ships back over and, and helped settle lots of towns in Utah. It's super cool, super cool history. Um, but how interesting is that? There are also some places in the scriptures where the North, talking about the remnant, references um, um, the stars. The North can reference the stars, right. not just places on earth too. And I, I think guess we could get super deep, so I'm going to back out. <laughs> there were a lot of people that traveled and I think that's why we went to the Polynesian islands early early on my great grandfather was born there because his dad was mission president in Hawaii and we know at least of Haggoth but I think there were others that traveled also um, and they were never heard from again and I don't know it's just something I've just really kind of been learning and I don't know if Everybody wanted to hear that or not, but, and if I'm pulling the right thread, but as I ponder it more and think about it, it only makes, I mean, it was written, we always say it was written for us. Well, why was it written for us? Because the prophets wanted it for their descendants. Are we not their descendants? Mm -hmm. yeah, that's very interesting. So just kind of catching up, there's a couple on chat and then Janet's raising her hand. 
so Cindy says that they did try to teach the Lamanites in Missouri early on, the first missionaries, but the government blocked their access. And then she likes the part of the chapter that says that Israel is mixed and everywhere. And then Sarah says yes to that. When we are ready, he will show us everything bit by bit. Uh, she sees it in her own life. God is ever willing and waiting for us to come to him. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, let's go with Janet real quick. So um, I've been reading Michael Rush's book, Daniel 11 today. Are you familiar with that? Uh -huh. Yeah. So um, he says <laughs> that coming from the North means um, it says that God would raise up a highway from you know, the depths, and he thinks it's the depths of space, and that the 10 tribes will come from space where they have been taken. Does that make sense? Uh -huh. And, and that, um, yeah, I guess that's what I well, wanted to say. <laughs> the scriptures tell us that when they return, it will eclipse anything that happened right. the parting of the red sea like, right so we all talk about that but now we'll all talk about the 10 tribes returning yeah so when they come it's going to be spectacular it's going to be like stars falling from the sky and he he says they will come in in spaceships actually from where they've been taken and that there will be many many of them and that is why we need so many temples because we are going to, it's the temple work has to be done on this earth. It's an earthly ordinance. And they are going, we're going to need many, many temples to do this temple work for the lost 10 tribes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Shamala's raising her hand and then we'll, um, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll go from there. Right. Okay, thank you. Um, what if this coming from the north, this remnant, is the city of Enoch returning? It I don't is. know if anybody's thought of that. It is. It totally is. Um, I, I the city hear. of Enoch will return. Yeah. The, the city of Enoch. Um, President Irene gave a talk, um, I think it was just in this past October, mm -hmm. talking about Zion's return and how truth will be raised up from the earth as a people and righteousness will come down and how these two groups of people will fall on their necks and kiss each other according to the scripture. So anyway, just that Brigham, thought, the city of Enoch Brigham could Young. easily be that event. Yeah, Brigham Young said that uh, the city of Enoch created, when it was taken up, created the Gulf of Mexico. Mm -hmm. yeah. Don't know. I just want to say one more thing about Nephites. Why, why then are we so admonished by the prophets to read it if it wasn't our record? Mm -hmm. yeah, like that's sure. the importance. And why was the church condemned for not taking it seriously? Because it was their it's their record. It's our record. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Those are just the little things as I think about it and the Lord leads me. I'm like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyway. For sure. And then Janet's raising hand. Okay, I have one more thing to say about the returning of the tent of the city of Enoch. I was in an institute class and the teacher actually taught that the sign of the coming of the son of man was the returning of the city of Enoch. That's the sign of the coming of the son of man. So. Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Just one more little thing to add to that. Um, I think it's fascinating that um, the concept of, you know, that we're the Nephites, but one more thing that might make that make just a little more sense too is um that here we are in, 
in in our land and it's trying to be taken over by secret combinations which is exactly what happened in the book of mormon so it's like history is repeating itself just like we're told it will and so that's why it was that's why it was written for us because we won the our promised land back and we don't want to lose it again and we always yeah. say it's written for us but we don't really take that seriously. We just think, oh, it's just like an end times thing to help us. But I think it's so much more than that, like so much more. And then as you read it and you read it going, this is our history. This is my family, Captain Moroni, my family, you know, 2000 stripling warrior. I mean, it's us. That's our history. Like, how cool is that? That's fascinating. I'm, I had never thought about that. I'm going to have to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> I really cool. I, like I said, I've watched the, the Joseph Smith foundation video before, but I wasn't ready to be taught. And I feel like the Lord has led me and guided me. I don't know. And I'm just saying, I kind of get that feeling that, that we're the Nephites, like it just makes sense. And it follows the Lord's pattern. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I'm going to have to, to watch those. You said that um, it was called The Remnant, and that was on Amazon. It, it's probably yeah, and it was yeah. it was free, but now it's like $1.99 to rent or something. It's not very much, yeah. I think, or maybe even to buy, because I think I bought them. I'm like, I just need to keep watching these again. And as I watched them, then I started looking up the history of who these Nephilims are. It's just kind of interesting. I don't know. And I think like the fairy tales, I think some of the history's been changed. It actually said that they they were these people that came and that's actually where like J.R.R. Tolkien got his Hobbit and all of that from, that they were these people that showed up. They had all of these gifts. They also had lots of gold, lots and lots of gold. And there was this magic sword that they had and i don't know it's just kind of interesting mm -hmm. yeah for sure all right so um on uh, 119 this was another part that i wanted to, to make sure to cover that it that new section that says spiritual conversion precedes physical return um, I, I find this very interesting with, with President Nelson and, and his worldwide ministry. It says that, first of all, God's servant fulfills a spiritual mission to the nations of the world. God sends him to preach to those who have grown weary a word to wake them up, suggesting they have fallen away from God and, and from an awareness of being his people. And I don't know, it just seems like there's a lot of, um, a lot of push to, to emphasize how much uh, President Nelson is is a worldwide prophet, the worldwide ministry as he's traveling the, the world and and looking for new places to build temples, etc. Waking people up to um, their their covenantal blessings that that are available to them, and then with this last um, Sunday session of a general conference, that it was a worldwide session um, uh, where all of the speakers were were from around the world and, and emphasizing that point. Um, and uh, let's see, at the very end of that paragraph, it says that um, Isaiah asserts that it is their sins and iniquities that separate them from God so that he doesn't hear them. And, and I think that's yeah, directly proportional to uh, the hear him uh, initiative, etc. as we are, um, uh, we're both trying to hear each other on, on a higher, holier way. Uh, he, us, and, and we, him, and uh, that this servant is that catalyst that really brings those those two together as we get to know him better. Um, even if if President Nelson is not the end time servant, um, he is definitely a type for him. And uh, how um, amazing it is to to be led by by true prophets in these latter days that um, guide us, just like Isaiah uh, was guiding. Uh, his people as we dive more into his actual life story and the things that happened there with Hezekiah and um, and, and just the children in, in general um, 
it, I, I think it's just so telling and, and I'm so grateful to be to be born in this day when when the gospel's been restored and all of these things are coming together. You know, like we all like to start puzzle. Well, I don't I can't speak for everyone. I like to start puzzles, but I more like to finish them. Like when you're starting to really see the things coming together and making sense, especially if you don't cheat and just look at the box. If you're just putting puzzles pieces together and and finally starting to see how things match up and not just one or two pieces here and there, what an amazing uh, process that is in the end time to be seeing, oh, and this prophecy and this prophet and and, and this scripture, et cetera, are, are coming and, and piecing together. And even groups like we have here where everybody's studying wildly different things, yet it, it all comes and, and plays so nicely with each other. And we have such a richness uh, and a lot to do with like our technology, how readily available these things are now where they weren't for, for many years. And anyway, it, it's just amazing how all of that comes together. That was such a testimony builder throughout this whole chapter. Um, it was just another solidifying of my testimony of President Nelson and his mission in preparing us for uh, the second coming. And, and we see it throughout conference, et cetera. Um, but it, it's nice to, to read about it in, in all of these different contexts. Um, so yeah. any, uh -huh, go for it. Yeah, no, can we talk about page 118, yeah. the middle of that last paragraph that typifying a similar three-year warning to all the nations to the end of the world, where are we? Yeah, exactly. Where, where do you guys think we are? Have we had that warning? Are we in the judgment phase? Are we getting ready to come into the judgment phase? Are we still waiting for that three-year warning? What page are you on? Page 118. And it's right in the middle of that last paragraph. Thank you. Um, Cameron, did you say you guys have talked about Ezra's eagle and some of those um, last day prophecies about the seven years? Uh-huh, yeah, in an in-person class that I taught here locally, uh, I have some of the videos and stuff online uh, on my <laughs> YouTube channel. But yeah, we, we talked about all of those. Because Neil um, has studied that a lot and shared some of the videos with me. And um, the ones that he studied said that we've started into that seven-year period and we're about halfway now. And he says that seven-year period what started around the time that they dedicated the Palmyra temple because for the first time it was broadcast worldwide and instead of waving palm leaves we were waving our handkerchiefs at that and that just kind of that's some, so that was 2017 that I'm, I'm not saying that's exactly it but that no, the Palmyra temple was two, the Palmyra temple was 2000 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the solar eclipse in 2017 is what's referenced oh. to, to begin those years of judgment. Mm -hmm. So I think you're thinking about the half hour of silence. But I, I don't think Michael Rush thinks that that's significant, does he? Like I, when I listen to him, I don't ever hear him say that he thinks we're in that, that time. Mm -hmm. Does any- Michael Rush is very much against that. <laughs> I thought so because when I hear him he said that there's no way that could be an indication but I look at it that these are all men these are all people and we're all just putting pieces together and nobody knows and so I think it's I don't think there's a way to know for sure but mm -hmm. I definitely think those those are signs and I don't know they're just they're people and they're people's interpretation of it that's the way I look at it Mm -hmm. I think there's some that think the half hour of silence started with the Palmyra temple and it ended what a half hour of God's time would be 21 years, 20 years. It ended with the Hosanna shout at yeah. the, at the temple at um, general conference. I think that's what you're thinking of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, and so the things that we do know, because yes, we have many modern interpretations, etc. Um, but the Isaiah here is talking about the three years. And then uh, just the next paragraph down, it says that in the books of Daniel and John, that the time period was three and a half years. And so um, that, that kind of brings the, the question, so is it three years? Are they seen differently? Is it the number just symbolic? What are we, we looking at? Is everything interpreted literal? Are these different events or are they the same event just told differently? Uh, there's lots of interesting um, things to, to ponder it and mull over. And, and yeah, there's, there's so many different speculations and wild things uh, popping around here and there. But um, uh, I think we can all um, agree that regardless, all of the talk of the tribulations and, and, and timelines and stuff have all kind of woken us up in uh, a greater degree, right? Like, I mean, I w I've always strove for, for higher learning and stuff, but it wasn't until I, I watched Moss's video for the first time. And it was like, holy crap, I got to get like preparing and on things with all of the knowledge and putting things together, prophecies, etc. That really woke me up as to urgency. So regardless of if that's the correct interpretation, um, it begs to be, to be seen. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. But um, it, it really did help as, as a warning sign to kind of wake up and, and smell the roses. <laughs> hey, Cameron, what is, do you know what Abraham's, what his perspective is on it? Does he give a, have you listened to him? I don't know on him specifically, but like other people from the Isaiah Institute that are around him a lot, think more along the line of Michael Rush, but uh, they think it's a little bit faster than what Michael Rush is saying. But, you know, I'm not a spokesperson for them at all. I, I have no idea. But some okay. of the people... I didn't know if some of the classes he taught, if he really got into that more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I haven't taken all of his classes or anything. So, yeah, I'm not the best person to, to ask. Uh, Nancy Wheeler in Group B has, has watched all of those, studied it out very much. So she could tell you what, what Avraham thinks. But I, I, I don't... <laughs> I've been listening to his podcasts and I mean, he hasn't said specifically in there, but I, I get the feeling that he feels like we're right in the middle of it. I mean, that, that's the feeling that I get just listening to his podcasts. But um, like I said, he never comes right out and says it. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's well, very just, particular not I, to uh, box himself in like some of these other authors and things do, you know, they, they just say it how they believe it and there's no moving. And so Avraham makes sure not to say who he thinks the end time servant is. He's very careful with it, but yeah. Yes. Well, so. in his, in episode 16 of his Book of Mormon prophecy, I just listened to that today. He mm -hmm. does say in there, um, the first, the sign, the first domino has fallen and things will quickly be coming to pass. He does say that in episode 16, something what's along the, those lines. What's the first domino? Uh, I can't remember right now. <laughs> I was listening to, I was making dinner and I, I didn't get it all, but. So if you look um, at page 31, it's where it introduces the domino uh, thing or whatever, yeah, but what it doesn't say exactly what it is right there. But in one of the other books, it might be windows it might be literary devices i don't know I'll, I'll try to find where he kind of explains what the first domino is yeah and, uh, i can't remember i'd have i'll have to listen to it again yeah i and think i'm only on 12 so i haven't heard that yet but but mm -hmm. i'm excited maybe i'll get that up to that one in the next day or so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so in our october conference uh last year they mentioned that uh we were in the hinge point so the, so the mm. question is, what does hinge point really mean? Does it mean that in between the three and a half years, or does it mean that we're taking inventory of ourselves to assess where we are and uh, what President Nelson is telling us to do? But those words really struck me when they said those. Mm -hmm. oh, where did I recently see, like, I was kept going, what's a hinge point? What's a hinge point? Because they first started talking about it at the Rome dedication. 
temple dedication. And then I just read something, I don't know where it was, but they said it was a change of direction. And, um, and that made a lot of sense. And so that makes me wonder, it, are, we at, are we at that beginning of the three years in the middle? You know, where are we? And, um, but I certainly hope that, that Isaiah's and Daniel's overlap. Cause I don't want to do a six years and then a seven years or seven and then six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be a double whammy. It's going to be interesting. So I've, I've heard that the hinge point is like a teacher who's teaching a class uses the hinge point to assess where his students are and kind of what you just said, Alethea, that that's a, if a time for him to or her to change how teaching is going to make sure that the students are uh, catching everything and are prepared to for the final tests and everything that are coming. So that kind of fits with what you're saying. Yeah. And then my mom's raising her hand. I'm just going to say <clears throat> another thing happened in the year 2000 where we uh, did the Hosanna Shout, and that was the dedication of the conference center. And see, that that's 20 years apart, those two Hosanna Shouts there. Yeah, that Palmyra Temple was the year 2000, so we had those two. Then we also, and then 20 years later, and then we also have, you know, the crossing of the eclipse right over Adamon Diamond, Jackson County, all of that area, right? Seven mm -hmm. years apart. Yeah, I've heard people reference where, like, the, the waving of the palm leaves and the, that the the heavens were actually waving as well with the the 2017 thing like that was symbolic of a palm waving uh, and i don't know that that one <laughs> anytime it comes to like space and astrology and stuff like i am just like not versed in that at all and that one seems a little weird but i can still see it still you know see it. We're, we're looking at dual witnesses there but yeah sorry we we're kind of going overtime and stuff any last kind of thoughts to bring it all together and, and <laughs> I liked everyone talking tonight and not just me <laughs> I feel like I always monopolize everything but yeah it, it's been a, a fun discussion I tell you every group has their <laughs> their own ways that they take the chapters it's fun um, so just a, a quick thing, um, I have been working a little bit on the site that is revamped uh, slightly. So let me just screen share that really quick. Um, so the, the homepage has changed. Everything's still there. There's just a couple things added. Um, but the Isaiah Book Club is up at the top um, when you're on a desktop anyway. You go to, to the book clubs and go to the book club Isaiah. And then it's organized by chapter. So um, each week as uh, we have the, the videos, those will be in there and our discussions are, are right underneath those. Um, it should be fairly simple. Um, if you have any questions, let me know and stuff. I know a new design is, is always awful to, to get used to, but, but hopefully this is helping uh, homogenize it a little bit better and find things easier as, as you go through and uh, go through our, our book clubs and kind of prepare for the future on that. Just Hey, Cameron, did you get enough donations to help you pay for that site? Because you said it was pretty expensive. Uh, yeah, it, it's expensive, but I mean, like I, it's already covered. Every March I get billed that 1500 and stuff. So um, yeah. Did I've you get enough donations? I, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Uh, I'm Cameron. talking to you, like asking for, for money and stuff, but it, no, I know, prepared. but that's a lot of money to put out in our behalf because I know I sent a little bit of money. I just wondered if you got enough because that you shouldn't have to fork all that out. That's a lot of money for just for you to pay. Hey, so uh, I just was I was just asking. Hey Cameron, I um work for UVU and we have a digital media department in my college, and we are always looking for projects. Uh, in fact, I just finished building a website with a, what we call a capstone project. 
which is a two semester senior project. So if you ever need to have website done, are you sitting on the backbone of a WordPress site? Uh -huh. Yeah, it's a WordPress. Okay. So we can talk offline on that if you want. Uh -huh. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. But yeah, um, you know, not that I'm ever like pushing for, for money and donations and stuff. Like it's already paid for. I, it was a prompting. I, I'm just acting on it. Um, it's fifteen hundred, but we've raised about four hundred dollars so far for it. But in no way is that like trying to say, "Hey, I need more money." Kind of thing. Uh, if you'd like to donate more, more than welcome to. But it, it's all taken care of. But that will be renewing every single year. So, <laughs> um, anyway, it, it's been a fun discussion. I've enjoyed everyone's comments and stuff. We'll uh, look forward to. Chapter five next week. That's another fun one. Um, any final things? If not, we'll head out for the, the night. All right. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you. Mm -hmm. See you later. <laughs>